my name is Jay Cross. I am a church plant resident here at Grace Church. And in just a year's time, God willing, we will launch in Randolph, Massachusetts. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Now, if you want to know more about what we're doing, the vision of the church, hear my heart, hear me sing, uh, you can meet me in the Connection Center after service, and I'll do my best to fill you in on what's going on, and uh, I promise you, I won't sing. So, <laughs> so we're here, and, and I have the privilege of sharing in our second week of our series, Fear Not. Now, I know a lot of us can relate in that way. There may be so many ways that we cannot relate, but when it comes to fear, oh, we can relate, right? Uh, I don't do haunted houses. I don't watch scary movies. Uh, I don't do roller coasters. I don't uh, like water that has a deep end. I, do, <laughs> I, do, I don't like hotel pools. That's, that's more of a hygiene thing. I think hotel pools are disgusting. You, you've never seen the kids stand weirdly still? Come on, like that, that alone enough is scary for me to say, you know what, I'll pass. I'll sit in the hot tub, but the pool, you can keep it. Well, the Bible mentions fear not. 365 times, right? It says throughout Scripture, fear not. Now, this isn't the Bible telling us as Christians to just go ahead and live a reckless life. That's, that's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible is saying live in a awe and a reverence to who God is, right? If you're going to have any type of fear, let it be a reverence for God, right? Uh, Pastor Sean talked about this last week, the way he treats that uh, man, the, the, what is it, the DeLorean versus his cheap escort. But Right? But, you know, the care we take of a thing when we honor it is different for something that we really don't care about. Uh, I don't want to use that one about other people's kids versus our own. Because, yeah, they might feel some kind of way about that. So I'll leave that one alone. But, but when we appreciate something, we give it more value, more honor. That's what God is saying here. And Proverbs 9.10 tells us that, that that type of fear leads to good judgment and wisdom. So that's the way we want to live our life. That's the fear that the Bible is talking about. Now, we have some common fears, but, but some of us struggle with some different things. Like some of you heard me say roller coaster, and you're like, man, set me up on a Superman. I don't care how many times they get stuck. <laughs> Y'all don't see those stories and be like, never again. No, people line up like, what a thrill. <laughs> Not me. Not me. I like the ground. The highest up I'm willing to go is an, is an airplane. It's so weird. Like, an airplane is way up there, but I don't do roller coasters. But I remember the first time I flew, I was praying, God, hold me in your hands like a baby holds a teddy bear. Squeeze me close to you, God. Let me be in your bosom. God, what was that? What are you doing? Like, 
But now I just, I'm in absolute confidence that God will keep me every time I get on a plane to fly. But we have some different fears, and the Bible wants to teach us how we overcome those fears. Last week, we looked at Nicodemus, right? He was the religious leader. He gave us an example of what our lives look like when we give, when we concern ourselves too much with what other people think. Huh? Now, I don't want to look down on Nicodemus because you know what? I need to be liked. I'm the only one. We all have that in us, right? We have a need to be like. And when people don't like us, what happens in our mind? We got questions. I think I'm a likable person, right? We start asking, why don't they like me? Because I think I'm pretty awesome. You've never had that conversation with yourself? It's just me? Okay, cool. Well, I'll be the only awesome person in the room. Thank you very much. No, but, but that's how it usually goes. We, we have conversations with ourselves because we need understanding about why we're not liked by somebody, right? But the fact of the matter is, if we spend too much time in that place, it can get dangerous, right? Because as Christians, listen, we're not supposed to be driven by what other people think of us as it relates to our vanity and how cool we are. We should be concerned about what other people think of us as it relates to our relationship with Jesus. Because what other people think of us in that regard can lead them further or towards Jesus. And that, as a Christian, has to be my number one priority. That's what I have to be centered in. I have to be centered in, is my life leading people to Jesus? And so I learned that the, the way to overcome the fear of what others think is to put God, what God thinks when others see me at the forefront, right? Don't become so concerned or obsessed about what other people think as a result to how cool my hair is, because my waves are spinning. That's not only it's for a couple people in the room, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll do it. Talk to me after service. I'll show you the whole process. But I can't be, <laughs> I can't be too concerned with those things. I have to be concerned first and foremost with what God thinks. Amen? Man. So, so we're going to look again at another guy this week called Gideon. Now, Gideon's story takes place in the book of Judges, right? The book of Judges is, a, is, a, is an account of Israel's on-again, off-again relationship with God, right? Because that's how Israel was with God. They would do like this salsa with God, like, we need you, we don't need you, we need you, we don't need you, come closer, back away, step. Like, they would just be this rhythm with God, right? They have, we want you, we don't want you, we do, we don't, right? Yeah, I got a little rhythm. <laughs> just don't ask me to dance, so... Um, but, but in the book of Judges, we, we find in the story of the people of Israel, they, they're just on again, off again with God. They, they, you know, God would send these rescuers to be like, hey, I'm going to get you out of that. And Israel like, thanks, God. That was pretty cool what you did, how you took everybody out of our way. You gave us their land. We're eating good. God, you know, 
You've been around long enough. <laughs> They'd be like, what? So they would forget about God all over again, right? But God would send these judges. Now, before we get to Gideon, what I need to do is I need to talk to you a little bit about what Israel did because Israel's actions and attitudes is what shapes Gideon's perspective, right? So we got to hear, hear what Israel was doing first before we get to Gideon. But we will get to Gideon, all right? So here we go. Book of Judges. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel to the Israelites that they made hiding places for themselves in mountains and caves and strongholds. Okay? So, the Israelites are here and they're so fearful of their oppressors, right? They're so afraid of what's out there that they now have built, made for themselves homes inside caves. This is not what God had delivered them out of, is, out of Egypt for. But they are now hiding in caves because they're so fearful of their oppressors. And there were also other tribes who would join in with the Midianites and they would just take all of Israel's crops. So Israel would work, they would, they would have the crops, and the people would just come in and take everything. And Israel would be like, well, ain't that something? They took all the food again. Right. So they, they have these moments. But the, the problem was, is that Gideon would be born into this app, this environment where they were so fearful and living in caves. But this isn't what God desired for them. What God desired for them was that they move from a place of fear to a place of confidence in his faithfulness. In the same way, like maybe you are living in a cave of your own making. Where you're stuck at. You've been there. It's, it's like the place you run to every time fear shows up. And God wants the same thing for us. God wants to move, move us from a place of fear to a place of absolute confidence in his faithfulness. I know that's what God wants for me, and I know that's what I want. I know that God always makes the best choices. See, he, he thinks bigger than I ever can. He sees the, the beginning and the end. And if there is any opportunity for me to participate in any part of that, then I got to give myself to it. Because I know, based on the evidence of my own life and what I've seen in others, that God does what he says he will. He is way more faithful than I will ever be. Amen? We got to be honest this morning. Now, Israel's stuck in this place, right? And so how do they get out of this place that they're stuck in? Well, the first thing they got to do is they got to cry out. See, if they, they cry out, it's a setup for Gideon, right? Because their crying out puts God back into their story. Because they had, they had been like, God, stay out. Right? Don't be a part of this. They cry out and it puts God back into their story, which again is a setup for what Gideon's going to come into, how he's going to be involved in what's happening. They have to cry out. Now, what does that look like? For us in, in, in Boston, right? You ever drive in traffic? <laughs> you squeeze the wheel? <laughs> I just came out of prayer. <laughs> God is awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Somebody cut you off. <laughs> yeah. 
You want to let down a window, but you contain it. I'm not going to let the window down. Nope, nope, not going to do it. You're not going to win, Satan. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're like, I, somebody does it again, and you can't take it anymore. And you let the window down, right? Flowers on a Sunday. You're like, you're, you're giving them the holy cuss out, right? Because you, you want to be kept, but it's so hard, especially we have some of the worst drivers, okay? And, and I consider myself a great driver. If everybody stays out of my way, I can be anywhere in 10 minutes. Anywhere. But I'm not condoning bad driving. Please don't follow my example in that regard. But you cry out because you can't contain. It's that energy that builds up. And so sometimes we're in these places in our lives where, they are, where our only move is a desperate cry out. When those caves are having their way, they got us held back. They're stopping us from seeing the face of God be at work in our life. It's the, the only thing we can do is cry out because we realize I have been in this place way too long. This place, it, it, it's, it's what I know now and I can't be here any longer so I have to cry out. Some examples for us might look like this. Look, your marriage is not dead but you've kind of settled into this stalemate place. You're like, I'm not going to give an inch. I'm, I'm going to stay but I'm not going to give an inch to make it better. Huh? You, you might be a person who says, I wouldn't describe my faith as very vibrant, but I go to church. You got a whole bunch of relationships, but you cannot say that you take responsibility for having any spiritual impact in people's lives. Those are places where it's time to cry out. It's time to speak to those things and change the circumstance. It's time to make that first step in honoring your wife and honoring your husband. It's time to make that first step in being the spiritual guider in your relationship. It's time to make that first step and say, you know what? My faith is going to move beyond just going to church. Amen? Amen. Sometimes God will bring us into these physical realities just to show us where we are. Like when we have those, uh, those moments where we see where our marriage is at or we see where our relationships are at, that's God trying to get us to see the reality of where we are spiritually. And that's why we have to cry out in those places because what we're trying to do is really reconnect with God. We're trying to grab God's attention. So instead of screaming flowers on a Sunday... We're screaming, hallelujah, God, you're worthy. Don't take your hands off the wheel while you're driving. Stay, at least stay on the wheel. So, I've closed my eyes in worship while I was driving before. Shh, don't tell anyone. But, but sometimes when, 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 when you hear, when you're, when you're in that stuck place and your cave is having too much room in your life, the only way to be free from it is to cry out. Let the echo in that cave, your hallelujah, praise to God, shatter that cave and have you standing before God giving him your praise and the honor and the glory. Amen. Amen. So they would, they would, you know, Israel would go back and forth in this place there. So they finally have to get to a place where he cries out, where they cry out. And, you know, part of Israel's problem was is they felt like maybe they felt like God wanted them to be perfect. You ever felt that way? 
You know, sometimes that stops us from that cryos because we think God wants me to be perfect. Listen, I mean, let me be the first to tell you, it's not true. It's not true. You know who was perfect? Jesus. Yeah. And through him, we're being perfected to God's glory. But perfect to cry out? No. You hear me? No. Right where you are in your struggle, in your wrestle, in the hurt place, in the dark cave, we can cry out because God wants to hear us. And we got to ask ourselves, like, what's worse? Staying in this place and being seen by people when we start to progress forward because people will be like, hey, man, I thought you were a big time Christian and they, or, or not being found by God. Which is worse? Staying in this place or, or trying to grow and people seeing you when you try to start growing or not being found by God. God, help us to be people who want to be found by you, so much so that we don't care if anybody sees us come out of our spiritually immature place because we have to know you so we cry out. Amen? Amen. So just like the teaching last week, uh, Nicodemus, right, he met with Jesus in the middle of the night because, again, he was fearful of being seen. Well, Gideon ends up doing the same thing when God speaks to him, right? But we, we have to, no matter what that fear feels like, we have to cry out because crying out pulls us out. Amen? When we cry out, what it does is, have you ever tried something new for the first time? Let me see. What have I done new? Uh, uh, like, I went and played golf for the first time. Everybody's like, I do that all the time. What do you do? It was just a new experience. See, what new experiences do is they kind of give us a jolt. They shake us out of what we are used to and say, and they open ourselves to a new experience. If we're used to our caves and we all of a sudden cry out, what it does is it shakes us out of the place that we have been stuck in and moves us and makes us vulnerable to new experiences. God wants to come into our life and breathe new experiences into us. And to hear that, we have to cry out. This is what God says about those stuck places when we're struggling. It says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and restore their land. God wants to hear you. If you're afraid of failure, if you're afraid you're not good enough, don't let that fear of failure stop you from crying out to a God who defeated death and sin. Not only will he forgive those who cry out, but he wants to. Psalm 86 and 5 says, Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Once we cry out and God responds, we have to practice the ancient art of listening. How hard is that for us today? How many of you feel like you're a great listener? Not this guy. Not this guy. Like someone could be talking and I have ADHD and so I'm a squirrel guy. 
I like I hear words, but I also my phone and then I turn off the water and uh, maybe I got to go back and think about that. All while you're talking. So it's hard for me to give you my and I think for a lot of us, it's a struggle. That's why listening is a lost art. You know what it feels like when somebody finally listens to you? It like stops you in your tracks. Wait a minute. I think you, like you're hearing the words that come out of my mouth? Oh my. Well, there was this time when I had this bike. It was really cool. I was six. And, and I used, like we start, we want to pour out everything because someone is listening. Listen, that's what God wants us to do after we cry out. He wants us to listen up and give him our undivided attention. Amen. Judges 6 says this, when they cried out to God the Lord to the Lord because of Gideon, because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued from the Egyptians and from all those who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live in. But you have not listened to me. So I think it's important to acknowledge here what it says is when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent the prophet. There was no long delay. There was no long delay. They cried out and the Lord sent the prophet. God didn't make them sweat about whether he act or not. And sometimes I wonder if we miss what God has to say to us simply because we won't listen. God is speaking. He's doing it with our friends. He's doing it with the teaching. He's doing it in our life group. He's doing it through a song. He's speaking to us through a book. He's showing it us through podcasts, and we just keep the fingers plugged in our ears. We got to take those plugs out so we can hear what God is actually saying because God will respond when we listen. Amen. When does God speak to the, when God speaks to the Israelites, he reminds them. He doesn't go, he doesn't say to them, y'all are so bad and so dumb and you keep doing this salsa dance with me. No, 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 no. When he speaks to them, he reminds them of how great he's been to them. He says to them that he reminds them of how good he is, that he rescued them from Egypt, that he drove out their enemies, that he told them he was their God. The first thing God wants us to know that regardless of what we are listening to, regardless of what voices we let come into our lives, that his voice is the most powerful and the most trustworthy voice we can obey. Amen. This is where we finally get to our guy Gideon. So they've, they've cried out. They're now listening to what God is saying, and they're bringing, in, they're bringing in Gideon. So Gideon is now coming into this new space because originally Israel was just stuck and without God. So here comes Gideon. Judges 6. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz of the clan of Abiza. Gideon, son of Joaz, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. I don't know why I always do that. <laughs> I'm Gideon, all right? The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, when you first hear that, you might think, okay, he called him mighty hero, but, but here's what's weird about it. 
The wine press is where you crush grapes to make wine. However, in fear of being seen by the Midianites and the possibility of starving, Gideon is threshing wheat in, in hiding. So remember, this is the environment that Israel was subject to because they did not want to call on God. So when the angel calls him a mighty warrior, it, it seems like he's everything but a mighty warrior, right? Like he's hiding. How many of you might know mighty warriors who hide? Exactly. Like mighty warriors, they come to the forefront of the battle. You would think him being a mighty warrior, man, he was on the front line calling out the, get, calling out the Midianites like, let's go. I heard y'all got something to say. I saw you stole my corn last night. Let's do this. But nah, he's, he's like, yo, if I can just get this wheat, maybe we'll have some food for a little while. So he's doing it in hiding. He doesn't want to be seen. But despite Gideon's clear fear, the angel calls him mighty hero. That label doesn't seem to fit the moment, but that's the point. We often identify ourselves by what we feel or what other people call us. For Gideon, he even tries to get out of it by telling God, no, 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 I'm no good. Gideon said in Judges 6, but Lord... How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Have you ever complimented someone and they turn to you and say, no, no, that's not true. You, give, you say, wow, you dress really nice. So you, you smell, right. no, no, you, you made a great play or you play that instrument really well. And they're like, ah, no, no, it's, it wasn't that big a deal. Sometimes it's because they don't want to come off as arrogant. Sometimes it's because they're, 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 uh, they're self-critical. They just, they don't want, they just hard on themselves. And sometimes it's because they think you're just being nice. Look, God doesn't lie. He's not gassing Gideon up just to say something nice. He's not filling him up with empty compliments. He's not trying to get something out of Gideon. He's calling Gideon mighty hero because that's what he sees in Gideon. Let me show you something about us. As followers of Jesus, God calls us a lot of things that we might not feel about ourselves. He calls us good soldiers, 2 Timothy 2.3. He calls us more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. He calls us new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. He calls us children of God. 1 John 3.2. These titles aren't just empty compliments from God. They are powerful reminders of our new identity that God gives those who place their faith in him. They are tools to be used when the voices of others tell us that we're something that God has not called us or when the caves are blocking us from God. They're our way out. When we find ourselves in the wine press and we're supposed to be in the field, when we find ourselves hiding, these things are our way out. They're our reminders of what God has called us. I want you to hear you have titles in the Lord and they're not just compliments. They are what we become when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, church in here. <laughs> doubt comes when we, here, here's, here's where the doubt happens at. 
It's when we listen to the voices of other people, sometimes ourselves included, and the voice of God, and we give those things equal weight. That's, that's where we'll make our mistake at. We hear what everybody else says, what people say about us, and what I say about myself, and then the voice of God, and we give them equal weight. That's, that's, that weight is not distributed equally, right? That, that weight is distributed wrong because the voice of God should have more weight than any other voice in any other thing in our lives because that is who gives us our instructions for living. Like who told Gideon he was weak? Who told him that his family was the weakest? Who told him that his clan was weak? Who convinced him that his perceived weakness could outweigh God's power to do good? If you're ever going to overcome your fear of failure, the fear of not being good enough, first focus on the fact that God is always good enough. Then allow what God says about you to overcome those voices of doubt. As you follow God's voice and, become, and it becomes more significant in your life, his words will lead us to action. And this is the hardest step because it involves the risk of failing. But when you have cried out to God and listened to God, the natural progression is to step out. So here it is. This is what Gideon says. This is what happens with Gideon. He steps out. Judges 6, 25. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. Now look, God might not be asking you to cut down your father's uh, Asherah pole or, or to sacrifice a bull. And if he is, let's talk after service. Okay, let's have a conversation. Maybe he's saying give up the Red Bull stocks. I, like, I don't know. Stop, stop drinking Red Bull. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he will ask us to step out, and he will ask us to act on what he is teaching us. Now, this part is always scary because guess what we like? We like having guarantees. Like we, we like having guarantees. We're like, you know, I, I want to know that I know that if I do this, this is exactly what's going to happen, right? Correct? Everybody wants to know when they go put in their lottery number. Oh, okay. We want guarantees. We don't want, we want, we don't want to risk financially. We don't want to risk relationships. And in Gideon's case, he was about to risk his life. This was scary because for Gideon, his family, they were all about that Baal life. They weren't about the God he was serving, right? They had been bowing down to this false God because they believed that they would deliver them from the Midianites or they believed that if they did this, the Midianites would leave them alone, but they didn't. To Gideon's family, destroying these statues and sacrificing the bull could anger Baal and the Midianites and endanger them all. But Gideon does, if he does nothing, like, isn't that... Worse, Baal didn't deliver them. They were starving. The Midianites were still killing people. So do nothing or do something. The risk felt like it was going to be the same. But he decides to follow God. Amen. 
I think we tend to forget when it comes to stepping out, they can be tough. I mean, if, if we do nothing, we're risking just as much. You ever heard of the guy Tom Brady? I don't know if anybody, so let me tell you about him. His name is Thomas Edward Patrick Brady the second He played for the New England Patriots. He has a dad and a mom. His mom battled cancer. Um, he always has them at his game. He's a great guy. It's my commitment. Don't judge me. But you know what pick he was in the, in the draft? 199. Come on, man. Said 19. <laughs> he was picked way out there, man. They had no confidence in the guy. So he has a chip on his shoulder, so much so that he had to go win seven Super Bowls. I mean, you can clap for that. It's Tom Brady. All right. Haters in it. I saw somebody with a giant scully on today. Point him out when you see him after service. Oh, they already pointed to him. <laughs> They see him. No, but Tom Brady, he won all these Super Bowls, but guess what? He lost three. If he never steps out on the field, he wouldn't have won anything. If he let those ship, if he let them saying you're not good enough at Michigan State, he was splitting time with another quarterback. He could have let all of that get to him, but if he never stepped out there, he wouldn't be the winner that he is today. The dude is 44 years old. They're still predicting him to go to the Super Bowl. Sometimes we got to step out. LeBron James. <laughs> I was going to see if Pastor Sean was going to say something. <laughs> I like beef here, right? But LeBron James has been to the NBA Finals more times than I can count. He's been there a lot. He's won four. He's lost six. <laughs> but guess what? If he let all the negativity from the haters that are Boston Celtics fans deter him, he wouldn't be where he is. He had to risk it. He had to step out. Listen, if we're not ready to risk it, we're not ready to be used by God. It's going to take some risks. Judges 6. 27, early the next morning, as the people of the town began to steer, someone discovered the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In their place was a new altar. Uh, a new altar had been built and on it the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around, making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joaz. Bring out your son, the man of the town demanded of Joaz. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. So here it is. This is the end that we all worry about. Gideon tried to do what God said, and it doesn't lead to redemption. It doesn't lead to victory or freedom for many. Instead, it leads to Gideon's death. Or does it? See, while we're worried about some outcomes that we can't control, God is still in control. He's not asking us to, to control what we can't. What he's asking us to do is obey. He sees those steps of obedience. He sees when we step out. And in the background, he's working everything out. The book of Romans puts it this way, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Things look dire, but here's what happens with Gideon. But Joaz, this is Gideon's father, Judges 6, uh, 31. 
He shouted to the mob and confronted them. Why are you defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by the morning. If Baal truly is God, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Look, Gideon's dad was the one who was calling on Baal. He was the one who believed in Baal, but he saw what his son did and he jumps up to defend him. Sometimes in our lives, our acts of obedience can steer the faith of others. We could be doing what God has called us to and somebody sees that and goes, you know what? Yeah, tell me more about that, Jesus. That's what it means to love your neighbor like you love yourself. It means to live your faith out so well in front of them that they call on Jesus themselves. They see what you're doing and they go, I want some of that. Huh? What would it look like if all of us made up our minds that the world was going to see Jesus through us? How many lives would be impacted? How many relationships between fathers and sons would be restored and changed because the father, the son sees his father striving to be like Jesus in the midst of everything he goes through and the son is like, dad, how can I know Jesus? Marriage is made stronger because of our faith in the Lord. Come on. Jesus needs to be at the center of our marriage. Amen. Amen. Neighbors change. What would it be like if we saw our neighbors wrestling with things and we were able to present Jesus so much so to the point where they say, how do I know him? Small acts of obedience from us can lead others to know Jesus as well. So you never know what you're, what you're doing and how it might affect others. Gideon's story doesn't end here with the mob all up in his face and, and telling him about this, that, and the other. He winds up becoming that mighty hero that the angel of the Lord called him earlier. He leads 300 brave Israelite warriors to defeat 135 Midianites. Now, Gideon didn't start this way. Gideon had a whole squad. Gideon said, well, God, you, you want me to go fight an army? Cool. I got about 200,000 people who's ready to do that with me. And God was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, you're going to bring those numbers way down. Okay, cool. Five of y'all go home. <laughs> 195,000, God, that's good enough. Nope, nope, we're bringing those numbers down. God had him go through a series of process where he kept dwindling the numbers down. And Gideon is like, you remember I was just in the wine press, right? But okay, so Gideon takes his 300 and he goes and defeats 135,000 Midianites, freeing the Israelites from their oppressors once again, their hunger, and freeing them from, to live life outside of those caves they had settled for. Gideon started the story cowardly, threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine. There I go. <laughs> Every time I did it at home, I would do the same thing. I'm stuck. Right? This will be your wine press move going forward. No. If you ever find yourself in a cave, <laughs> he was so afraid of his family that he took down the altar in the middle of the night in darkness. Was Gideon perfect? No. Was his first act of stepping out small? Yes. Was Gideon obedient? Yes. Facing 135,000 Midianites 
would have been very overwhelming, but he let God prove himself by obeying him in small baby steps until he could have had the faith to face the army. Fear of failure is overcome by the confidence in what God has already done. Jesus said that the faith the size of a mustard seed, very tiny, has the capacity to move mountains. I think we often look at our mustard seed and we compare it to the mountain and we decide that it's impossible. Maybe that's what Jesus wants to do. He wants us to grow our mustard seed faith until it becomes so big through acts of obedience that the mountain starts to look small. I get a few things that I want you to apply or think about. So I don't know what kind of fear you might be facing today, but I know all of us have to take a step. So maybe you've been afraid of calling on God. Other people or even yourself, and it's caused you to stop trying to do anything. I mean, you settle for your cave. You're in that place. It has your undivided attention. You know there's more to faith. You know there's more to God, even more to life. But when you step out of the cave, people might see you fail. Well, it's time to cry out. It's time to cry out to God and ask him to help you identify how you got there in the first place. That might be a scary question, but it's definitely essential to us entering into a healthy spiritual place. Maybe you've cried out and you've constantly telling God about all your problems and what's wrong with your situation. And I say maybe it's time to stop talking and start listening. I think we spend a lot of time preaching our fears and doubts to God, but we don't give him an opportunity to speak to our doubts. And when he does, we might not be listening. It's time to listen up. God didn't want Israel to stay in those caves and live in fear, but they were never going to overcome their enemies if they tried to do it on their own. We need the voice of God if we're ever going to face our fears that have been controlling us. And some of us, if we're honest, we've been in church for a while and our faith has become stagnant. You might even be questioning why you're here this morning. Like many of the Israel, many times the Israelites spent so much time under the Midianites' influence that they had given up on God and turned to other sources for hope and rescue. Have you turned the other things thinking that they're going to rescue you from your cave? God didn't walk away. They did. It's time to stop letting God just be a voice in your life and let him be the voice in your life. The proof of his authority in our life is obedience to him. Some of us got to step out and we'll see the beauty of the life that God has envisioned for us outside of the fear of failure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you, you, you don't want us to live in fear. You want us to live in reverence and honor of who you are in our life. And so, God, if anybody in this place is, is struggling with that fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just speak to their hearts, speak to minds, or let them be pulled out of their places that they're in. If they're in a place where they need to cry out, let them do it to you. If they're in a place where they need to listen, God, let them listen. Clear up any clutter that might be in the way. And if it's time for them to step out, God, let us step out into the place that you've called us to. God, I thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.